Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. 13 days until the most important election of our lives. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. We know you are out there talking to voters, knocking on doors, making phone calls, and doing whatever it takes for us to win on November 8th. So today, we help you present your closing argument for the midterms. We are talking all about messaging that works with the help of communications guru and the host of the Words to Win By podcast, Anat Shankar Osorio. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. win. All right. How was your week, Jennifer? How are you? Hi, Steve. I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. A couple (laughs) weeks out. (laughs) And there's a lot lot of things to consider, so that's good. Yes, indeed. I'm excited for everyone to hear our interview with our friend, Anat Shankar Osorio, who uh, Mm. our listeners will know well because she's been on the show a couple of times and always literally my favorite shows because she's so brilliant and she also introduced the two of us and I'm uh, thrilled (laughs) she made that connection. I am too. I really love Anat. She's a good friend and has been a good colleague of mine for many years. So it was a real treat to be able to be on the pod with her. (laughs) Yeah. And before we move forward, I want to take a little point of personal privilege And just say happy birthday to my beautiful, amazing wife, Melinda, who our listeners also know because she's been on the show a couple of times because, right, why wouldn't she be? Um, But today as we record, her birthday. So happy birthday, Melinda. I love you. Happy birthday, Melinda. (laughs) So from that, (laughs) from that, we go to the news (laughs) of the week, which isn't good. Uh. (laughs) Um, Yeah, oof is right. I, I just... We have a great interview with Anat. I don't want to get too deep into the news of the week because the news of the week is we need to be out there knocking on doors, talking to voters, and getting ready to win the most important election of our lives. But uh, there has been a lot about Kanye West's remarks and the rise of Mm. anti-Semitism and this horrific banner that was hanging in my hometown of Los Angeles over the freeway. Mm-hmm. Anti-Semitism is on the rise. It has been for a long time, and we don't talk about it and call it out enough. This mm-hmm. is what the rise of fascism looks like, and this is what's on the ballot. Well, we have so much to do to reckon with the institutional racism that exists in our country, and um, and we're just watching people spew hate and threats in ways that I really never thought I would see in my own lifetime. I mean, we saw it underground and knew that it was around, but the way the overtness of it is uh, staggering. Uh, It's real, it's dangerous, it's escalating, and we have to stand up to it. So um, I know our listeners do this, but I just want to say, please call out anti-Semitism wherever you see it. Call out bigotry wherever you see it. And, and really, let's make sure we get everyone we can to vote and push back against the rise of fascism. Uh, the MAGA Republicans and GOP are using hate, as they always do, uh, to mobilize their base. 
and it's it's just it's terrifying. Uh, it has to stop, and it's going to stop with us. So um, I just wanted to acknowledge that and and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's unfortunately nothing new, and as you say, it's a deliberate tactic that the right has been using that connects to all of the deliberate tactics that they have to try to divide us and to try to scare people and to try to turn people away from their actual agenda, which is very harmful to most of Americans, most of America. And so it's really harmful and it's really scary to see it to see how blatant it is and to draw those connections right to connect those dots back from what trump has been doing from the very beginning mm -hmm. in terms of how anti-semitic he has been um while at the same time trying to whip up a lot of right-wing energy um in parts of the jewish community as well so he's he's doing both things and the gop is certainly um has certainly been a part of this for as long as as we can remember. So yeah. it's it's exactly right to connect between the racism, the sexism, the anti-Semitism. It's it's all part of what they're trying to do to to divide us against each other and to not and to disguise the real enemy. And and the blaming and scapegoating of others who may be different than a white christian cis male norm that that the republicans are trying to put forward is just a it's just a classic strategy and so yeah. we have to fight against it we do and we've only got a couple of weeks as we're recording this two weeks less than two weeks to uh to do it so um, yeah. Speaking of which, speaking of uh, people voting, early voting has started in a lot of states and um, yeah. uh, voter silencing has uh, started in another way that I, I never thought I would see. Uh, in Arizona, we're seeing literal armed with body armor people coming to uh, s try to try to silence people's votes. We're seeing it in Pennsylvania to um, I, I'm sure we will continue to see that uh, all over the country, especially in our battleground states, because this is the playbook. This is um, what Republicans mm -hmm. do when they have no policies that can actually garner votes, then they uh, try to intimidate. Mm -hmm. So uh, what can we do about this? It's scary to see it. Um, it's terrifying to see it. Also, the arrests in Florida. We talked about it a little bit in the interview with a knot, but um, mm -hmm. what can we do about it, Jennifer? Well, it's important to be aware, right? Number one, it's important to be aware that this is happening. We've been hearing the reports, not just seeing on the news, but really hearing it from the folks who are in the on the ground in these states and in Arizona, um, Pennsylvania, as you said, and other places. But you know, so being aware that this is a thing that is happening is important. I think um, one thing that people have been talking about is don't go alone. If you if you have to go vote or if you, even if you just want to drop off your ballot at a ballot box, uh, which has which have been we've heard reports of people lingering around ballot drop off boxes mm -hmm. and, and harassing voters. So even if you're going to a ballot box, don't go alone. Take a buddy. You could call a it ballot a ballot buddy. buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone should have a buddy. Don't go alone. And uh, anytime you see 
this kind of tactic, intimidation, silencing, it's important to report it. So we you can report it to local authorities. There's a national hotline. If you go to protectthevote.net, you can find the national voter protection hotline where people can call in and report these incidents. So it is important um, to report not only to let folks know, but so that we have that data as we move forward in this brave new world of, mm. um, you know, uh, this new reality that we're in yeah. of um, election, what do we call them? Election rejection people, <laughs> people who are who are essentially rejecting the idea that elections are decided by voters. Right. We need to reject the election rejectors. That's right. <laughs> Say that five times exactly. fast. So go to protectthevote.net if you see anything, or, uh, and uh, and we'll have the link to that in our show notes also. And I love the mm -hmm. voter buddy, the uh, ballot buddy, um, because that mm -hmm. that plays into what we should be doing anyway, and what we talk about on this show quite a bit. Vote tripling, you know, bring three mm -hmm. friends to the polls with you. Um, mm -hmm. So that that's an easy thing that you can do if you're going to vote. You know, bring a bring your crew to vote and make mm -hmm. sure that they vote too. Because um, one mm -hmm. vote is good, four votes is better. And if they bring three yeah. friends and then they bring free, three friends and so on and so on and so on. I don't know if you're old enough well, to it's know important. that commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I do. But it's important to point out, and I think we talked about this with Anat too, that we have to win these elections. That's the best antidote to the election denial, the election rejection, is that we have to win. So organizing more and bringing more people, vote tripling, all of that is important as we, that's another thing we can do is just out organize them. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to get to our to-do list. First, uh, let's talk about our hero of the week. So it's my turn for Hero of the Week, and I didn't pick up one person. I picked out 5% of our vaccine-eligible population that has gotten this latest booster. Only 5% of the mm. eligible population has gotten this most recent booster. So you all are my heroes of the week. I have not yet so I made my appointment and I'm going tomorrow to make sure I have this newest booster because um, coronavirus is, is rearing its head. It hasn't gone away and, uh, and it's easy for us to get complacent, but very important that we keep each other safe and that we stay healthy. Um, so please go get your booster. I really co-opted the Hero of the Week segment to ask people to go get their booster. So it's kind of a hybrid to-do list Hero of the Week. But uh, but I'll, cool. I'll add this. Melinda, my wife, has gotten her booster. So she is, on her birthday, mm. one of our Heroes of the Week. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> well, I, I'm also a hero then because Yay. I got my booster a couple of weeks ago. So. Yeah. Way ahead of the curve. Thank you. It feels good to be a hero. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> You're welcome. That. Yeah. Uh, hey, <laughs> maybe our listeners uh, skew more than that 5%. So um, mm. that would be great. Let us know if you're uh, fully boosted. Um, all right. Let's talk about this week's to-do list. I want to get through it quickly so we can get to a Knotts interview because it's really, really great. And we're going to give you all the messaging guidance you need when you do this work. Uh, first of all, 
Uh, we dropped a special bonus pod on Monday morning, uh, some field interviews that I did at the Los Angeles Big Send event. Hope you got a chance to hear some of that. The biggest takeaway is Saturday is Vote Forward's Big Send date. So if you still want to mm-hmm. write letters, which you should, the letters are really effective. You can still write them up until Saturday, and then Saturday is the day that we send them all away. So um, go to Vote forward that's votefwd.org again this will be in our show notes and adopt some letters and then send them all off on saturday then the other thing uh jennifer i don't know if you knew we were doing this but uh we have a great phone bank that we're partnering with uh our friends at the gaslit nation podcast uh for christy smith who is a, a major flipping opportunity it sounded like I was trying not to swear, but I meant flipping from a MAGA Republican, Mike Garcia, to uh, Christy Smith, who lost to him by only 333 votes. It's a, a very yeah. important congressional race. So um, that is this Sunday, October 30th at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, Christy is going to be there. Uh, Andrea Chalupa from the Gaslit Nation podcast is going to be there. I'll be there helping kick it off. It's going to be uh, a really fun event. Uh, And then uh, we get on the phones and we help elect Christy Smith to Congress. And you can do that from anywhere, right? Anywhere, yes, yes, anywhere. The yeah. um, the link will be in our show notes. Once again, it's a you know lengthy, mobilized link that I would be useless if I said out loud. But go to the show notes, yeah. click on it, <laughs> sign up, and I hope to see you there. That's um, great. I'll be there. Oh, nice, great. Jennifer's going to be there too. Really, that's so cool. <laughs> yes, I got to do my phone banking. I'm in. I love it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> All right. And then, of course, we talk about these great ads and messaging resources with a knot, but I just want to highlight wedecide22.com, right? Talk about that a little bit, Jennifer. Yeah, so this is a public site where folks can go to see a lot of the ads that we created together with a bunch of partners, including Anat and her team. Uh, And these ads were very much driven by research to understand what would persuade and mobilize our full coalition to go to the polls and to vote for Democrats. So you can view the ads, you can share the ads on social media platforms or with your friends and family. And we also provide a contrast grid on everything from freedoms to the economy. So you can be clear with your family and friends and voters that you're talking to. This election is not a choice between your money and your freedoms. Democrats will protect your freedoms and protect your pocketbooks. That's that's the message, we're sharing, right? That's part of our closing argument message that we're talking about. So uh, all the resources available there and we decide. Love it. We decide 22.com. And uh, lots of links to click in our show notes. Um, Mm -hmm. Jennifer, let's talk about our reasons for hope. My reason for hope right now is the early vote numbers. I decided I wanted to talk about this because we've mentioned it a little bit, but more and more, as you said, early vote is happening, people are voting, and we're getting more and more data back. And I just want to say that it's encouraging for Democrats to see this early, these early vote totals coming in. Overall, we're running 15 or so percent higher 
than we saw in 2018 and in 2020. And we're seeing many more Democrats come out and vote early in almost every major battleground state. So knowing that the election is really close, um, we've had some different polls that we've seen here and there, mm -hmm. but uh, people, it's important that people vote early because it means that People have more, you know, the candidates have more money to close. They can target more people. They can expand their universes. So early vote is, is encouraging and we should all be feeling good about how things are going right now in this election. And we need to keep pushing in our margin of effort. In our margin <laughs> of effort and ignore the polar coaster. Yes, of course, mm -hmm. um, which you coined last week. I love that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what's your reason for hope? Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just uh, – well, the early numbers are very hopeful. Um, it looks uh, like we need help in Arizona and North Carolina. I don't know if we need to really yeah. single out places, but that's that's where the numbers aren't aren't looking as great for us. So um, That's right. Just uh, – Yeah, that's right. If you got some time after you call for Christy Smith, maybe – Drive over to Arizona. Okay. Um, my <laughs> my real quick reason for hope is Adidas dropping Kanye or whatever he's calling himself now. Um, and this isn't mm -hmm. because I am proud of Adidas for doing the right thing. Uh, they waited way mm -hmm. too long and, uh, and should have come out right away and dropped him. But uh, this is a – I think a billion-dollar – uh, revenue stream for Adidas. It, it constitutes about 20% of their uh, total sales, uh, their partnership with Kanye. And um, mm -hmm. they dropped him because of you and you and you and the public outcry and the activists and the people who, uh, as I said earlier, stood up to anti-Semitism. And, and, uh, and if it hadn't been for the public outcry, uh, there's no doubt in my mind Adidas would have, would have just, you know, tried to weather the storm of controversy or whatever. And uh, they didn't. They've dropped him. And it's uh, because of you. So... That gives me hope because I know we have collective power. I know we really can make an impact when we come together and use our voices. Yes, absolutely. I love that. I mean, it's important to note that corporations don't always do the right thing, but we can pressure them to do that with our consumer power. Right. Okay. Uh, Enough from just us. We need to bring a knot into it and uh, and hear this great interview. So I'm excited for everyone to hear our interview with Anat Shankar Osorio. Anat Shankar Osorio is the host of the Words to Win By podcast and principal of ASO Communications. She is an expert. I would even say the expert in why certain messages falter where others deliver. Her writing and research is profiled in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Boston Globe, Salon, The Guardian, and Grist, among others. She's also the author of Don't Buy It, The Trouble with Talking Nonsense About the Economy. Anat, welcome back to How We Win. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I also want to thank you before Jennifer jumps in uh, for putting Jennifer and I together for introducing us because uh, I'm thrilled that she's helping out here uh, as we have a final push and and you work with her a lot so 
she's made uh, she's made the podcast so much smarter. It's it's a little known <laughs> fact that if you're a Jew and you successfully match three couples that stay together for life, <laughs> you automatically get to go to heaven regardless of the rest of what you do. And I don't know if platonic counts, but I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to put this in my column. Okay, well you heard that Jennifer, we have to stay together for life now <laughs> for the Sorry sake of uh, Anat's <gasps> eternal salvation. <laughs> I love it. Always, always pushing for Anat's eternal salvation. It's pretty much my goal in life. I mean, given how I behave, I need a lot of help. <laughs> well, we need the help. So let's let's get right into it because we're talking about our closing argument and, and what we're saying to voters right now. And as, as we talk to friends and neighbors that we engage online, uh, what are the messages that we need to reinforce to voters or potential voters right now? Yeah. So first, let's just define our terms and talk, as Jen and I often like to do, about these high potential voters. Um, and what yes. we mean by that is folks who it turned out for us in 2018 and really made that critical difference. We also sometimes call them surge voters. And we very much need them returning out. We'll take new voters too. Don't mistake me. I'll take whatever I can get. But what we're really focused in laser-like is these um surge voters that we had in 18. And what we know of them, it's important to note, is that a lot of them are feeling despondent. They're feeling disaffected. They're feeling exhausted. They are very much in the more month than check place that many Americans find themselves in, strapped, struggling to make ends meet, and really wondering how the heck is it that voting has anything to do with my grocery bill or anything to do with making sure I can actually fill up my tank and the kinds of things that are top of mind for them. And so with those folks, what we need to keep in mind is number one, that vote is a verb. It's an action that we need mm. people to take. It's not merely a belief that we need to, them to hold. So a lot of the things that social science teaches us about habituation and behavior apply here. So when you want people to vote, you need to talk to them about voting. When you want people to engage in a behavior, you need to talk to them about that behavior. Not so much about issues or candidates. It's fine to do that as well. Don't mistake me. But you want them to be the hero in your story and you want to talk to them about voting itself. So that's one thing. The next thing that I would share, and there are many things, and you know, Jen can probably tick off 20 more herself, is that we need to inspire in them this sense that I did, I can, I will. We did, we can, we will. That yes, times are tough, things seem challenging, maybe, participating in the political process is not the first thing that occurs to you to make your life better or to get your needs met. But look at all of these things that we've been able to achieve in the past that maybe seemed impossible at the time and that actually happened because we did act in this particular way as voters. Using social proof, what I call the middle school theory of messaging, which is in 2020, we turned out in record numbers to defeat Trump, or in 2020, we turned out in record numbers to ensure the will of the people prevailed and to make this a place of liberty and justice for all. And in 2020, and in 20, 
2022, hard for me to say, <laughs> yeah. we're going to do the very same. We're taking to the polls, we're turning out, we're calling, we're texting, we're volunteering because we know that in this election, our freedoms are on the line and we will turn out as voters. So it's that sort of fake it till you make it. Here's the thing we're going to do so people actually do it. Hmm. Right. Because haven't you also found a knot in some of the research that when messages, for example, foreground how scary and horrible things are, how votes are being suppressed, how, you know, it's going to be really challenging for us to overcome this voter suppression, that when you lead with that kind of negative messaging, you actually end up depressing people's turnout. So it really is flipping that on its head. It's absolutely that. And it's also really critical to recall that, and people ask this question all the time, well, the right uses fear-based messaging all the time. Why are you telling us not to do it? It's so effective for them. What's important to remember is that you wouldn't use the same strategy and messaging to sell a white dude a sports car as you would to sell a black woman a sports drink. We are trying to talk to two different audiences about two different products. And so what we are trying to do is take people who at their core, their psychological predispositions are inherently progressive and we're trying to get them to act. And what we see in those people is that fear is an inhibiting emotion. What Mm -hmm. is an activating emotion is either something positive, the ability to act collectively towards something better, to care for others, to protect our kids, to protect our communities, our families, et cetera, or defiance. So it doesn't, there is a role for negative emotion, but that negative emotion needs to be, if they think they're going to silence our voices and block our votes, they've got another thing coming. Not, ah, they're coming at us and they want to suppress us and they're doing this and they're doing that and it's horrible and it's terrible and it's terrifying because that evokes out of activists a desire to fight back, but out of the rest of the base the broader part of the population, it evokes a sort of, I will hide in my cave. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talk about that all the time when we're talking about our turnout conversations and our make a plan conversations to have enthusiasm about what uh, what you're hearing from their neighbors because uh, that gloom and doom does make people want to just pull the cover over their heads. It must work at least in a certain extent in fundraising emails. Otherwise, they wouldn't like consistently do that over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. But but for voter contact, it doesn't. And, and Anat, you recently put out one of maybe my favorite tweets of the, of the you know, GOTV thing is, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, buck the fuck up. People like to be on the winning team, <laughs> right? Uh, and and that's what it is. Like you know, if if you tell people that they're excited about that, their neighbors are all excited, and and uh, and it's going to be a big turnout. They want to they want to show up. They want to be part of that. They want to join the party, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, what works in fundraising emails doesn't work for voters is also a challenge that you have dealt with, but not. <laughs> Um, A little bit. So first of all, we have to remember that we're dealing with two different populations. So the people that you're targeting to try to get money out of, by definition, those people are voters. You're basically trying to move them up a higher level of um, the ladder of engagement. You're not getting money out of non-voters, right? 
Mm-hmm. To donate to political causes, you have to already be paying some level of attention to politics and doing something about politics at a minimum voting, probably more than that. You've you've signed up to a thing, right? You are you are on one of these lists. That is not most people. And so that community of people, you know, I often joke that progressive messaging can be summarized as, boy, have I got a problem for you. And for most people, they are not out shopping for new problems because they're all set for that. Mm -hmm. Activists, we love a problem. Boy, have I got a problem for you is our love language. We are like, yes, a new problem. I am so psyched about that. I can't (laughs) wait. Please tell me more about your problems. And so we get into this wrong feedback spiral where on social media, especially left inflected social media like Twitter, and then also sort of in this fundraising universe, we're like, well, that is working. I know it's working because people retweet it. When they see my terrible, horrible, scary, awful thing, they are responding to it in a way that is giving me positive reinforcement. But again, you need to remember that the task of political communication is either to engage the unengaged or to convert the conflicted. And if it's working on people who are engaged and already completely progressive, that is not an accurate perception of how it works with the other two groups. The other thing that I will say on the fundraising side, there are diminishing returns to fear in that too. And in better longer term experiments, what organizations have actually seen is that that type of fear-based, no, this time we really mean it. This is the time we're epically, truly fucked. And I know the last 17 (laughs) emails and texts said that, but I'm going to add some more exclamation points so that you know that I mean at this time, we're burning through our lists. People Mm -hmm. are very frustrated. They... And and there are actually better ways even to engage activists. It's it's not even best mm-hmm. practice in fundraising. Yeah, I, I I think that well, we don't have to talk about fundraising emails because uh, that's probably not <laughs> the most important conversation to have right now. But I will say a lot of campaigns don't have the capacity to even track what those emails are going. They they farm them out to consultants. They're doing the same old stuff, and uh, and uh, and so. Uh, post-election, we can discuss how we fix the fundraising email problem. But um, right now, uh, to this point, let's talk about um, Jennifer and Anat. You both have been working on some really great ads uh, that we can all help amplify that that have these effective messaging. Uh, and you also have resources for people to find those ads and, and share them. Why are these ads important and effective right now? Well, what we've tried to put together is a suite of ads that can be shared and reused by anyone doing work out in the country that really embody the learnings that we got from a months, almost years long process to understand what would both mobilize and persuade the winning coalition that we need to show up in the 2022 midterms. The the people who voted uh, for Democrats in 2018, the same people who voted to get rid of Trump in 2020. It's a multiracial, multigenerational, cross-class, cross-ideology coalition. Um, so how do we actually see that whole coalition and create messages that will move them toward our side and also motivate them to vote. So that's what we did uh, in this collaborative process where we 
really looked at research and understood what voters were thinking and feeling, made content and tested that content very rigorously uh, to see how it measured up to those metrics. And then we have a final suite of content that is continuing to reinforce the right frame for the election, the right messages on everything from abortion to the economy, and the voter mobilizing um, message that Anat was talking about earlier. Great. Let's let's play one of the ads, and um, and of course the visuals are very important and awesome. So it's a podcast; <laughs> we only get to hear the audio, but everyone's going to be able to get to the visuals because we'll link this ad and the resources to get them in our show notes page. But um, uh, this one is called. Is it called? Does it have a name? The the gouging our prices ad, or what's what's it you, called? You just named it. It's called gouging it. gouging our prices. Let's listen. Anat, why is why is this messaging effective right now? Yeah, so right now, uh, I don't think it's a surprise for anyone listening that people are really feeling economic concerns top of mind, and foremost among that is really um, rising prices. Right, this is impacting people. We just as human beings should acknowledge that and be aware of it. We care about other people and we know that this is the struggle that we're going through right now. Pretending it's not happening is not useful. So what is happening in this ad is that it is providing an origin story for people's economic pain. And what we find over and over again is that in the absence of an origin story, people fill one in for themselves. And of course, what we have seen the other side doing relentlessly and the reason that they bring up quote, inflation or cost of living is in order to put the onus and the blame on Democrats and really make people feel like your life isn't that great right now, you're struggling. And so therefore, it must be because of the people in charge, the people mm. in the majority. And so what this ad does is it accurately and correctly names the actual cause in a way that is, of course, intentionally simplified. We don't go into global supply chains and the impact of Russia's invasion on the Ukraine and the fact that actually inflation is occurring at a global level. <laughs> and are you aware that in various countries, the indices, actually the United States, and when we look at the disruptions of the supply chain and the increase in demand, which is unfortunately the way that some Democrats like to message this. Some yes, of our favorite I'm... ones, actually, I'll say, but we, we like the brownie. We won't bring up EW yeah. right now. So... <laughs> I understand the desire to be comprehensive and accurate. And one should be comprehensive and accurate if one is a teacher or a journalist writing a detailed story, an economist. However, when one is engaged in the practice of political ad writing, persuasion, mobilization, or as Jen and I like to call it, mobisuasion, 
We need to Ooh. be punchy, we need to be succinct, and we need to be able to deliver that ideally in 30 seconds or less. And so what this ad does is it demonstrates how actually it's corporations gouging our prices that have much of the blame. It offers tangible proof of that. And importantly, it links that to Republican actions offering, as you heard, a pithy acronym that GOP stands for gouging our prices. If we repeat and repeat and repeat that, then we can cement that as the cause of people's present economic pain, allowing us to draw that contrast, which is a big part of all of the messaging research that Jen lifted up, that we have to be drawing a contrast between what it is that voters believe in, desire, need, want, both at a basic economic level, but also sort of more broadly in terms of our freedoms, the kind of world we want to live in, the kind of air we want to breathe, the kind of education we want for our kids, and who is blocking that, who is getting in the way of that, and make this election really a choice and not a referendum on the incumbent party. Yeah, one of the reasons that that ad is effective right now is because we know when we look at surveys of voters that inflation and the economy is popping as a top issue. But we also know, particularly when we look at Democratic voters and women voters, that abortion and the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade is also very animating. So I'd love for you to talk about Anat. We often get asked um, about this question, which one is it, abortion or the economy? And like we like to say, our closing argument is absolutely about both and what Democrats will do uh, if given the chance to be in power bo on both of those issues. So can you share with our audience as well how you how you link them in a closing argument? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it feels a little weird to answer this back to you, Jen, because, of course, you've been part and parcel of figuring all this out. So um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just with that caveat. Um, so. Abortion is what we would call a salient exemplar, a potent <laughs> and powerful particular example that is incredibly animating, mobilizing, vital to voters, women in particular, but not only women, mm -hmm. of Trump Republicans' broader agenda. And that is the way to talk about abortion that also allows, believe it or not, to bring in the economic conversation. Hmm. So rather than exceptionalizing abortion and just talking about it by itself, which is a perfectly fine thing to do, it is more effective and also allows us to bring in that economic argument when we say, in America, we value our freedoms from our freedom to decide whether and when we have kids, there's that abortion point, to our freedom to retire in dignity, to our freedom to be able to put food on the table and be home in time to eat it. There's a broader economic argument. But today, Trump Republicans want to take away those freedoms from dismantling Social Security and Medicare, to overturning Roe, to blocking every single measure to help our families. They hand kickbacks to corporations who gouge our prices while providing tax giveaways to their donors. And any and every time Democrats put forward a bill to contain our costs, to make care affordable, to ensure our kids can go to better schools and that our jobs pay us a fair return, they block it. 
because they are here to rule only for the wealthiest few. So it's basically making the both and argument and saying Democrats are going to protect our freedoms. Trump Republicans are going to take away those freedoms. And here is what those freedoms mean, both abortion and economic. That's really powerful. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, it reinforces something that we've known for a long, long time. Uh, we have such great rifts in our country. We're so split between the left and the right, but it's not really a left-right issue that, that is at the core of all of it. It's a top-bottom issue. And, um, and mm -hmm. that's, I think, resonates uh, when we get down to it. That, that resonates with all voters, hopefully. I, sh I should say. It should resonate. Some, you have to grab them by the shirt and shake them. I don't know if we figured out a way to really do that. You can't really do that when you're going door to door because you, you'll get arrested. But um, <laughs> uh, speaking of going door to door, uh, in these last few weeks, our listeners are going to be knocking on doors. They're going to be making phone calls uh, for uh, a variety of campaigns, depending on the campaigns they work with. They will be giving scripts, which the campaigns will not want them to deviate from, okay? But how can volunteers be extra effective within the framework given with those scripts? I mean, we talk about our – we've already talked a little bit about the making a plan conversations, about social pressure, being positive. We're on the winning team. You talked a little bit about being a voter and, and the importance of that identity framing. Uh, what else? What I would say is that if you're in face-to-face -face conversations with individuals, the same thing applies at a door with a stranger as applies with your best friend, with your romantic partner, with your child, with your parent, et cetera, which is acknowledge and redirect. So when someone tells you at the door, ah, it's all just a bunch of bullshit and politicians are all just a bunch of bullshit or you know, whatever, my family's struggling, I can't even think about that, Democrats are in power, and I feel like I don't have any money. It is, mm -hmm. in life and in elections, a bad idea to argue with people's feelings. That is not mm. a way to begin a conversation. And so what you want to do is you want to acknowledge having heard what they said. You don't want to acknowledge the validity of their argument. You want to acknowledge that you heard them. So what does that sound like? I really hear you. Times are incredibly tough. That sounds like you're facing a lot. Or I really hear you. It feels incredibly frustrating. And I know that sources of hope seem hard to come by right now. So you say, I hear that you have these feelings. I am going to acknowledge that I have heard about those feelings, which is different than saying everything you said is, is absolutely true. And so I'm going to reaffirm <laughs> the truth of those statements. <laughs> right. And then after you reaffirm having heard their feelings, you then redirect and say, but here's what I do know. But here's what I do see. Or, but here is why I'm out here at the door, because this is what really matters to me. Ultimately, this election, this November, is about what kind of country we're going to be. Are we going to be a country where we fight for liberty and justice for all, where people can get the care that they need and not be flipping out about going bankrupt to do it, where a woman who is confronting what for many of us is the most difficult and challenging position to be in can do that without the interference of a handful of politicians who've decided that they get to be up in her bedroom and up in her body. 
is this going to be a country where we can put food on the table and be home in time to eat it? Or is this going to be a country where the wealthy and powerful few get to rule over us? And what I've seen is that there's no perfect politician. I don't think you could be a politician. I don't think you could be a person and be perfect. But any and every time there has been a bill to make care more affordable, to protect our freedoms, to preserve our air, to ensure that our kids have a decent shot at a better life, every single person on our side of that column has been a Democrat. And every single person blocking it has been a Republican. And that's how I'm making my decision. It sounds like you went off the script a little bit, but I think it was. Sorry. <laughs> but but uh, shh, don't tell the campaign because that was really good. <laughs> Stick with that. Yeah. There's one question, too, that comes up a lot, which is how do we message to voters around the identity of, of being a voter? Often we tell people that they need to go vote, but isn't there a better way and not to talk about it so that it is more effective with folks? Yeah. So it's interesting. There's been some some sort of back and forth in the academic literature about how strongly this holds. I think that there's some question around whether the be a voter prompt, which I'll talk about in a moment, is, you know, whether the evidence exists that in writing it is more efficacious than the ha the action prompt, which is um, to vote as opposed to being a voter. I think what we've seen mm. in the social science literature and the basis for making this claim is that in interpersonal communication, so that's different than I'm reading a postcard or I'm reading a text or I'm reading an object and I'm not engaging with another human being. Mm. If you can get a person at a door on a phone to actually say to you, this is the gold standard, mm. I will be a voter. If you can get them to claim that identity, they are more likely to take the action that then allows them to make maintain that identity. Because if I say to you, oh, yeah, Jen, whatever, thanks for coming to my door, I'm going to vote. The day comes, I get busy, I have to do something with my kids, I have to do something with work, whatever, my colleague got sick, I got to go fill in, whatever. I said I would vote, I didn't vote. Blah. But if I said to you, I will be a voter, and even though voting is obviously not something that everybody does, it's still considered to be what we call a pro-social identity. It's a good thing to be. Mm -hmm. If I have said that I'm going to be that category, then I am more likely to want to engage in the behavior that allows me to retain that label. Right. Mm -hmm. Is the same true for saying, I'll make a plan to vote? Is, does that show people more likely to follow through versus saying, I'll pledge to vote? Yeah, the plan thing is, I mean, again, it just it goes back to the fact that voting, unlike, say, you know, do you believe in abortion or do you believe in the death penalty or do you support climate change, all of which are issue things and sort of require persuasion in their own ways. Voting is an action. And everything that we know about what makes people stick to an exercise routine? What makes people stick to, you know, one particular kind of diet versus another kind of diet? What makes people break, I don't know, a habit like biting your nails or whatever, fill in the blank, right? Mm -hmm. We have a very vast social science literature around behavior change, habituated behavior. And what we find is that walking people through 
When are you going to vote? Where are you going to vote? Through what means? Is it going to be by mail? Is it going to be in person? Is it going to be after work? Is it going to be after you pick up the kids? Right. You know, will you bring the kids with you? Will you do it with a friend? Will you do it with a colleague? Are you going to drive there? Are you going to walk there? Walking people through all of that makes them more likely to do it because they've created in their own mind a specified plan for where it's going to fit into their day or their week or their life. And then they're more likely to actually carry it out rather than when it's this sort of abstract thing, ah, I'll vote, I'll vote, whatever. Yeah. And, and I think that that's really important for people to hear. And it's so easy. And that should be uh, it probably will be 98% of the scripts that is implicit in our uh, get out the vote in our final you know turnout scripts. But um, mm -hmm. it is so easy for someone at the door or on the phone to get an affirmative response from someone. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to vote. Uh, you know, I support the candidate and be like, great, my job is done and hang up the phone. And uh, and it's it's tedious and uncomfortable, especially for people who haven't done it before to really like it feels like haranguing them with, okay, well, when are you going to go and how are you going to get there? You know, are you going to go from work? Do you, uh, do you have to take public transportation? Can you go with a family member? I like to bring my, my daughter and my wife and we like to go vote together. Do you do that? You know, like all that stuff is like, dude, like, leave me alone. I said I was going to vote. But as you said, it's, it's really important not to skip those steps and it gets easier and more comfortable the more you do it, right? Yeah, I also think mm -hmm. if that's how you're feeling as a volunteer, which is totally understandable, I would psych myself out as a volunteer in that situation by just thinking through for yourself, um, what are things and when are times that I have initiated and sustained a new behavior? So that could be running, that could be eating a specific thing that could be, you know, taking a specific a pottery class, whatever. And think through yourself. Why were you able to do that when you previously couldn't? What were the kinds of things that sustained, that, that, that initiated and then sustained that new engagement? And recall that it does require a whole heck of a lot to engage in behavior change and sustain it, even though, of course, voting, you know, voting's not like exercising, which you should do sort of a couple times a week. Voting is, you know, this one time. Some, every some people do it more than a couple of times a week. I'm just, just throwing <laughs> that out there. <laughs> and some people do less, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit of a junkie. Yes. No, that's that's <laughs> important. And um, yeah. Um, anyway. For the record, I exercise a lot. And I just, you know, it feels obnoxious to say that. I didn't mean to insinuate <laughs> that you or anyone else doesn't. I just, uh, I, Jen, I've been obsessed with my, I set up a garage gym <laughs> and we just redid our garage and it, it's all election and garage gym. That's pretty much the only thing in my brain right now. So, okay. um, but Jen, back me up. I exercise <laughs> all the time. Constantly. That was a strong affirmative. It's a lot of dancing. Look at those it's guns. It's a lot of dancing. It's a podcast, but we've got some serious suns out, guns out going edited, on right now. Out. No, the gun show is staying in for sure. Edited out. <laughs> um, well, what I was going to say is, uh, is yes, it's, it's uh, 
always important to reinforce that behavior. And um, for those who are shy about having these conversations um, and doing it for the first time, thank you. You should never apologize for reaching out to a voter. You are inviting them to the party. You are giving them the opportunity to participate in our democracy. And, uh, and that's nothing that you need to be shy or apologize for. That's what I was going to say. So impactful. Glad I got back around to it. <laughs> I think that, you know, I could totally see how it would be very uncomfortable to feel like now you're getting all up in that caller's business and like, why are you getting into those details? But I think that, obviously, I don't know what the script says that you've been given, but if after the person's like, yes, I'm going to vote and I'm going to vote for X candidate or X candidates, I would say, that is so phenomenal. That's really fantastic. Um can you share more with me? I'm so excited about that. Can you share more with me about your plan to do that? And if you approach it from the place of, I'm so excited for you, that is so wonderful, you are so great, can you share more with me about that plan rather than, when are you going to vote? Where are you going to vote? How are you going to vote? Mm. At what time are you going to vote? Which does feel a little bit like, get up, you know, get out of my business. Um, if you share it, if you ask it from a place of sort of enthusiasm and excitement, then I think it can feel less invasive to the listener. God, that's why we have Anat and Jennifer on here, and I don't do this thing by myself. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Anat, as we know, in probably the best case scenario, we'll keep the House and expand our majority in the Senate. And we're all going to want to take a big, long, very well-earned collective nap. But as we know, even with the best case scenario, it's going to be painfully close. And there are also Republican election deniers all over the country who will once again propagate the big lie about our elections. Our work is going to be even trickier if we fall short in some tight races where we also have legitimate claims to call for recounts and counting every vote. So we know we can't take a nap just yet, uh, but we want to ask you, how can we best prepare for this? What is the research telling us about how to get ready for this moment that we know is coming? Yeah, you know, you're hearing a big sigh out of me because yeah. it's it's very hard. I mean, it's very hard on every level. It's very hard as a messaging question, precisely because of the way you frame the question accurately. So, um, and it's also just very hard kind of at a psychological level that we are in a place where, you know, we have, we don't have two political parties. We have one political party and we have an authoritarian faction, a political party attempts to court your vote and an authoritarian faction tries to keep you from voting. And that is where we mm -hmm. actually are. And mm -hmm. the unwillingness of the media to call a spade a spade and actually call out and render clear exactly what Trump Republicans are doing is, you know, it's, it's dereliction of duty. It's, it's, it's horrendous. So it's an incredibly frustrating situation that we are in. Yeah. So what do we do? Well, first, we need to remember that uh, they don't need to steal an election that they win. So right now, we got to win these elections. Mm -hmm. We got to win as many elections as possible. Obviously, we're not going to win every election. I still live in America and have not taken total leave of my senses. So I'm aware we're not going to win everything. But we can't do anything that is going to demobilize people. 
So we have to be very, very mindful of the way that we talk about election threats with vulnerable voters, voters who have every right and every legitimate reason to feel afraid, to feel like maybe dropping off their ballot is actually going to be a difficult situation. I'm thinking, of course, of what's going on with ballot drop-offs in Arizona. I'm thinking of Mm -hmm. the video of folks getting arrested in Florida, horrifying, terrible authoritarian things. So we want to make sure that we are talking about if if we are talking about threats to the election, that we are doing it inside of this defiance frame. So a shorthand that we've taken to using is they lose, they lie, they lash out. Mm-hmm. That is a way of essentially pre-bunking the greatest number of voters that we can to, hey, heads up, this is coming, this is what they do, Um, this is how they're going to engage and behave, this is part and parcel of their broader agenda to take away our freedoms, they are coming for all of them, including that most fundamental freedom to choose our own leaders in free and fair elections. But if they think they are going to silence us, they've got another thing coming. So it's raising it, but immediately coming back to that defiance point. Next, Mm -hmm. not calling them election deniers. That is way too kind. (laughs) That risks validating what they're doing as if there is some kind of normalcy. Same thing with election contestation, same thing with mass voter challenges, which is this process wherein, you know, any John Q person can be like, I think those votes were illegitimate and I'm going to Mm -hmm. contest them. Contest, challenge, deny, all of that is way too sanguine terminology for what these fuckers are doing. Sorry, that's the technical term. Yes. <laughs> so instead, and and we're engaged right now in in trying to figure this out, but just as like a thought experiment of another term, instead of election deniers, they're election rejectors. They're elector rejectors, and we are elector protectors. And mm-hmm. we are they are election <laughs> rejection, and we are election protection. They are out here rejecting the very notion that we, the people, get to pick our leaders. Yeah. Instead of talking about mass voter challenges, we talk about mass voter silencing. So just making it clear over and over, and whenever you can, assuming you're not, you know, confined and concerned about C3 restrictions, that you name the villains, name the villains, name the villains, name the villains. Trump Republicans are out here trying to declare themselves rulers. They want to rule over, not represent us. Yeah. Well, that is, uh, that is going to be a challenge and that's some very, very helpful guidance on how we deal with that. And yes, I want a nap after November 8th, (laughs) but, uh, um, we're going to have to... I'd like to be induced into a coma. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for anyone that on the... It doesn't... You know, I'm going to save up for it. It doesn't even need to be on the cheap. If anyone out here knows how to induce a coma of a very specific duration, that would be amazing. We just have too many little wannabe Trumps all over the country who are going to make our our life uh, pretty fucking awful uh, after the election. So we can't go to sleep. We have to we have to look forward 
not look forward to that, but we have to look ahead to that and and be sure we're prepared for it. Having yeah. said all that, which is uh, the bleakest of things to talk about, let's finish with the question we always end our interviews with. What is giving you hope right now? Um, a couple of things. Tangible, concrete, early vote returns. Mm-hmm. Early vote returns. That gives me hope. Oh, yeah. uh, we're outpacing where we were in 18 and in 20. That makes me happy. Um, in places where we have enough data to, you know, be able to draw some aggregate results. Is this a slam dunk? Is this a sure thing? No, absolutely not. I also don't want to give, you know, a false estimate of what's going on. So that, and then perversely, uh, they're really desperate. Mm. They are absolutely terrified. And I know that they are terrified because they keep coming up with any and every way possible to keep, block, stop, hinder black Americans, new Americans, young Americans, indigenous Americans, Asian American, Pacific, you name it. They know that the majority of people in this country reject their agenda. They know that they are wildly unpopular dinosaurs and that the great again to which they desire to return us is actually not even the 50s. It's the Gilded Age where the robber barons owned us all and most people had no rights. And that gives me hope. I know this is weird because (laughs) they know that Americans are not into them. Yeah. I don't think that's weird mm-hmm. at all. You know, they they have chosen a path to power that should be more tenuous than it actually is, but they are they are walking a very hateful and dark fine line struggling to hold on to power with as you said every uh hateful fascist trick that they can hold on to. And mm-hmm. um you know, right now it's tenuous. It looks like a jump ball, but um, but when that uh, when that falls apart for them, it's going to fall apart in spectacular fashion because it's not it's not rooted in any actual policy in any actual um, effort to make people's lives better. It's rooted in the sole search for power and influence. So that I I get it. That gives me hope too. Um, Anat, we've taken up way too much of your time. You're, you need to be giving messaging advice to people running for office, not to all of us. So, uh, <laughs> And hopefully they will listen to it and do what you say. Because don't they always? Isn't that <laughs> <laughs> Anat gives me hope. Anat's <laughs> perseverance gives me hope. <laughs> Absolutely. Both both of you all give me hope, and and uh, and again, thank you, Anat, for putting Jennifer and I together, and uh, yeah. and thank you so much for all the work you do, and and for being here with us today. Thank you all so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved, and we want to hear from you send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet at us at howwewinpod on Twitter 
at bluesboysteve and at Jenna Kona. Make sure you smash that subscribe button, as <laughs> Dan Pfeiffer would say. Right. Rate and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share a show with your friends and family. There is always work to do. There is especially work to do right now. So we will be back with some more next Wednesday. <laughs>